We continue on this 40 days of prayer journey. We're halfway through. Uh, Today we start week four on prayer as confession. Prayer as confession. There are sermon notes in your bulletins. Uh, There'll be some more detailed notes on the screen if you want to fill in. Uh, But as Carson read, Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 and 14 and 15, we will be looking today at that section of forgiveness, forgiving our, having our sins forgiven as well as forgiving others. We'll also be looking at Psalm 51 here in a moment. The story was told of four preachers who met for a friendly gathering, and during the conversation, one preacher said to the others, he said, our people come to us and they pour out their hearts, they confess their sins, they ask for prayer for the needs of their hearts, and he said, let's do the same with each other. He said, after all, confession is good for the soul. So after wrestling over and talking through it, all four agreed, yes, this is a good thing. We will practice this together right now. And so the one who had the idea, he began and he said, I want to confess to you guys that when I'm off away from the church, I will sometimes go to movies that I know I shouldn't. I sneak off there and I watch those and and I need to confess that. A second one said, you know what, when I'm really, really, really stressed and things aren't going my way, I will often go off where no one is and I'll smoke a couple cigarettes. It's a way for me to try to have my stress relieved and it's not good, I confess that. A third one began to confess. He said, you know what, when I'm off, instead of going to movies, I will go off to the casino and I'll blow a ton of money just so I can have some fun. He said, I know I shouldn't be doing that and so I confess that to you guys. It came time for the fourth one. And he just refused. Even though he agreed to it at the beginning, he said, no, he just would not confess. He would not confess. He would not confess. And the others began to press him, saying, come on, man. You agreed to this. We confessed ours. You need to confess yours. What's your secret sin? What do you need to confess to us? Finally, he answered, it's gossiping. And I can hardly wait to get out of here. Confession. As that one pastor said, it it is good for the soul. It's why Jesus taught us when we pray to confess our sins and to ask God to forgive us. And why he also taught us to forgive others of the sin that they commit against us. Confession, though, Because of situations like that, whether it's before God and we're not quite sure how he's going to respond if we bring all of our messy junk to him and really confess it and get honest before him, we're not quite sure what's going to happen if we have to confess all this stuff to him. And then to think about confessing sin to others or even forgiving others what they have done against us, it could be a scary thing. It can be something that's really resisted, even outright resisted. Sometimes we can see confession as a requirement, a a duty, something that we have to do. But we need to begin to see confession as a gift from God. A gift from God to his children. Because what comes from confession and what comes from forgiving others is blessing. 
Because we receive forgiveness, we receive blessing from God. Forgiveness and confession is a great gift from him. There's two planes, really, that confession goes on. First, confession goes vertically. We confess our sins to God, and out of that, we then forgive other people, as we'll see in Jesus' prayer together. So let's start. In the first two of these, we've been looking at a number of these topics, worship, kingdom partnership, petition, today, confession. Let's look together at, first, this vertical prayer, prayer of confession, that we confess sin to God first, We confess sin to God for forgiveness. Carson read for us, forgive us our debts. Some translations will say, forgive us our trespasses. The context that we'll look, if you would turn then, maybe keep a finger in uh, Matthew 6, you can turn back to that. But if you would turn to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51, about midway through the Bible, Psalm 51 is a psalm of David. And the the context of Psalm 51 is King David in a song or a prayer as recorded here in Psalm 51. It's a confession of his sin. And it comes in the context of David having stolen another man by the name of Uriah, having stolen his wife. And even to the point of having Uriah killed. It was a sin compounded by another sin. And David kept this a secret. He didn't tell anyone except to try to get it fixed. He didn't do anything with it. He just held it. And scholars believe that it was at least a year from when David committed this sin of stealing another man's wife and having that man killed, that there was another man by the name of Nathan, a prophet of God, who came to David. If you want to read that account, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. As Nathan the prophet comes and tells a story to David about a man stealing from another man. And David is enraged. What should be done? That man should be killed. And Nathan the prophet looks squarely at the king and he says, you are that man. David was confronted by the prophet Nathan for his sin that he held in secret for likely a year. And the psalm, Psalm 51, is a response. It's David's response after confessing, yes, I have done that to Nathan and to God. It is his response, his prayer song to God of repentance and confession. Psalm 32 also goes hand in hand with Psalm 51 in that section, and it tells us something about sin first. It tells us that sin is a weight. Sin is, is a weight. Psalm 32 details God, David's response to God on this same sin in another place. And we see the effect of David's sin on himself. He says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Sin is a weight. We see the weight of sin upon David and the effects of sin upon David in three different areas. We see it upon his physical life. We see, he says, my bones wasted away. 
My strength was sapped. As in the heat of summer, there was a physical effect of this sin, this weight of sin upon him. There was an emotional effect. There was groaning all day long. There was this emotional response that David had. And there was a spiritual effect as well. The hand of God, day and night, he says, was heavy upon him. Sin is a weight. Sin is a weight on our shoulders. When it's not confessed before God and as David confessed it to Nathan, a man, it takes its toll on us. You know, for a little while, you can handle the weight of sin upon you. You can handle it. You can handle its effects. But the longer the weight of sin is upon you, the longer it begins to affect you. The longer physically you get tired. You can have your health begin to erode as the weight of sin weighs on you longer and longer. Like David, you can have the weight of sin begin to affect you emotionally. You can become an angry person. You can become a bitter person. You can become a, an overly critical person towards others. You can even become extremely depressed. The weight of sin emotionally. And like David, the weight of sin on you can also begin to hang there spiritually. You feel distant from God. You feel stuck. You know that every time you are quiet, there's the whisper deep within by the Spirit of God as the conviction of the Holy Spirit is upon you. You need to deal with this. You need to confess this. You need to deal with this. And every time you come to the presence of God, you know it's there. And so you run. You don't spend time in his presence or you just go through the motions because you just can't get away from it. And the longer it is there, the longer that sin goes unconfessed, the heavier the weight becomes. But Psalm 51, in David's response, gives a way out. This is the goodness of God. There is a way out from the weight of sin. And the way out is to begin to own your sin. Verses 1 through 6, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. David owned his sin before God, and in that passage in 2 Samuel 12, he owned his sin before Nathan. There is this reality that we can confess to God, but we also need, Scripture tells us in James, to confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. Forgiveness comes 
as we confess, as we own our sin before God and man. David came to a place where he stopped trying to keep his sin a secret. He knows his transgressions. He feels and knows his sinfulness from birth. He recognizes his sin against God and God only, even though it was committed against other people. And he knows that God is always right. David began this confession by owning his sin, the sin we've committed and the weight of sin upon us. After we own it, David gives us a pattern as well to also uh, begin to cry out for forgiveness and restoration. In verses 7 through 12, it says, cleanse me with hyssop. And if you want a picture of hyssop, I had it on there earlier. That is hyssop. It's a wild branch. It's a wild shrub out in the middle of the desert oftentimes or can be grown in gardens in different places, but they would dry it out. And what they would do is they would get either water or blood on dried twigs of hyssop and they would sprinkle it as an act of sacrifice on um, on either a person or on the altar to be able to put and say it is the blood that brings purification, that brings forgiveness. And so as there would be this cry out, David is saying, let me cleanse me, O God, with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He goes on in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Do you hear David's cry? It's a cry to God for forgiveness. It's a cry asking that he would be washed, that he would be cleansed whiter than snow. It's a recognition of the stain of sin, and it's a request that his iniquity, his sin, would be blotted out. The ultimate picture of this is the cross of Christ. That at the cross of Christ, Jesus took upon himself all of our sin and the weight of our sin. Jesus literally, though he was innocent and sinless, took ownership of our sin. And so as we think about forgiveness, as we think about confession, as we think about owning our sin, as we cry out to God for forgiveness, as we cry out to him for restoration, we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, we believe that at the cross you took my sin. At the cross, you took the weight of my sin, and we, by faith, take our sin. And instead of trying to cleanse ourselves from it, we lay it and lean it and put it on the person of Jesus. And let me tell you what. There is freedom. There is release. There is the lifting of a burden, and I can tell you just for the minutes that I was holding there, it is a significant difference. I wish all of you would have been able to speak 
with weight on your shoulder. And then to be able to lay it upon Jesus. He's the only one who can take it from us. Confession is the way, as we cry out to God for forgiveness, confession is the way that the weight of sin is lifted from us, the guilt is lifted from us. David cries out for forgiveness. He also cries out for restoration. Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. He saw King Saul, his predecessor, be cast from the presence of the Lord because of his disobedience and the Holy Spirit taken from Saul. And no doubt he had to have felt that himself to some degree. So he cries out, don't take me from your presence. Don't take me from the presence of your spirit. Sin has a way of stealing those things, of masking the presence of God and the work of the spirit in our lives. He cries out to restore to me the joy, the spiritual vitality, a willing spirit to sustain me, the joy of my salvation. Cry out for forgiveness and restoration. There may be some today that you've been living under the weight of sin all your life. It's just what you've known. That you've never come to the place that for the very first time of placing your sin by faith upon Jesus and allowing him to take it from you. We call that salvation. We call that being saved from the penalty of sin. We call that, Jesus said, being born again where we are forgiven for the first time and we are made a new creation in Christ. Some of you, it may be that day today that you've never said, Jesus, for the first time, I'm going to trust you to take that sin weight, that sin penalty upon yourself. But confession is not just for those who have never received Jesus. Confession is also the daily rhythm, should be the rhythm for all of our lives. And Jesus taught his followers to pray, forgive us of our sins. Because we all have junk that builds up in our lives. We all need to be able to come before the presence of Jesus and say, here's where I've gone wrong. Here's where I've sinned against you, either on purpose or I just failed to do what I needed to, a sin of omission. Or maybe I thought something that wasn't pure. I said something that wasn't right. Lord, would you forgive me afresh? And it becomes this way of staying in close friendship, closeness with God. For David, this wasn't at all about being saved and being brought into relationship. He had it. It was about restoring the closeness with God that he had lost because of sin, the sin he had committed and had not confessed. The response of David then after this is praise. It's praise to God for his forgiveness. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to me. Save me from your blood guilt, from, the, from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. The result of forgiveness for David is praise, singing it, speaking it, 
offering in worship, not just in outward acts, but a broken and a humble spirit, a broken and a humble heart. We sang this morning, give us clean hands, give us clean hearts. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks in humility your face. David had been touched by God's forgiveness and it deeply affected his praise and his worship. It also affected him telling others, telling others what God had done and teaching them to steer clear of sin and when they did sin, to come quickly into the presence of God and confess it so that the weight of sin would be washed away. You would not carry it. This is the heart of Jesus' prayer to forgive us our debts. Friends, sometimes the longer we've been a Christian, the easier it is to think we don't need to confess. That's something I did a long time ago. Confession is the regular rhythm and the gift of God to keep close fellowship with him. Come, let us reason together, Isaiah said. He wasn't speaking to non-believers. He was speaking to the people of God. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be washed afresh, white as snow. May the pattern of forgiveness be received regularly as we confess regularly our sins to God and our sins to others. That is the vertical direction of forgiveness and confession. There's a horizontal, that with each other, and it goes like this, to forgive others who sin against you. This is what Carson read for us this morning. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then Jesus says this really crazy thing in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The reality of living as a human being is that you and I are going to get harmed by others. I wish I could stand up here and say that when you come to Jesus, life gets really easy. There's no difficulty. There's no struggle. Everybody just is like, oh, you're a Christian. I love you. I won't do anything ever to hurt you. But the reality is if you're a human being and you're living in relationships with human beings, others are going to hurt you and you're going to hurt them. There's going to be harm that comes. It's a fact of life. People are going to sin against you and you're going to sin against them. It's not a matter of if, it's not a matter of when, it's more about how much and how deep the harm goes. That's really the question. And it's why Jesus teaches us so honestly to not only ask for forgiveness from God, but to forgive others when they sin against us. You see, when others sin against us, two things happen. I'm going to ask Jake to come and give me a hand. So, when I, if I were to sin against Jake, two things are going to happen. I am going to place on him a weight. And I I'm going to have to go back to this. When I sin against him, I have harmed him, and I have put sin upon the weight of sin upon him. I've hurt him. And I have now, because I have sinned, I now have this sin weight upon me again. 
Now, what I need to do is exactly what I did before, is I need to come before God, and I need to ask him to forgive me, but I also need to come to Jake, and I need to ask Jake, I'm sorry that I harmed you. Will you forgive me? Now, though Jake did nothing wrong, he bears that. He was on the receiving end of something that he would have never had had I not harmed him, had I not sinned against him. He has the choice now. If I have asked for forgiveness, he has the choice of whether he is going to forgive me or not. So for my well-being, I have confessed it to him. I've confessed it to God. I've laid it at the foot of the cross. I am now free of it. But Jake still handles the weight. Jake still has the harm. He has a decision to make. Will he forgive me or will he hold on to it? Now, all of us would say, well, that would be dumb for Jake to hold on to that thing forever. But you know what we do as human beings so much? When people sin against us and harm us, there's something about us that say, I'm going to hold this against them. I'm not going to forgive them. I want them to suffer. Who's the one suffering right now? Jake. It's not me. I, I, I just confessed it. I took it to the cross. The burden is off of me. I've asked for forgiveness. It's up to him now. It's his choice, whether he will forgive. And Jesus makes that amazing, crazy statement. If we forgive others, God will forgive us. If we don't forgive others, he won't forgive us. It's a conditional thing. It's a conditional because it highlights that if Jake has understood that he has been forgiven by God, then no matter what I've done to harm him, even if I put a thousand pound weight on him, compared to what Jake and all of us have done against God, this is nothing. And so the reality of understanding what we have been forgiven of then brings us to a place where we say, you know what? No matter what someone has done to me, it does not even come close. Because I have received the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God, it's a natural response to forgive others. Now, there's one other piece to this. What if I have sinned against Jake and I've put that on him and I'm just perfectly happy to go on living my life, never confessing this and just living under the weight what happens to Jake? Does he have to wait for me to come and say, you know what, Jake, I realize I harmed you. I sinned against you. I put this sin weight on you for him to forgive me. Is forgiveness only going to happen once I have asked for forgiveness? Is Jake bound with that thing? Even if he decides today, you know what, I don't want this. I am going to forgive him. Does he have to carry that thing forever until I come and ask him for forgiveness? The answer is no. Forgiveness is about Jake. He extends it to me 
whether I even ask for it or want it or acknowledge it or not. Forgiveness is the gift of God to Jake that he can release me of what we sometimes think we have the right to hold against others. Only Jesus is the one who holds and has the right to punish. Only Jesus is the one who is the right judge. And so even if I never ask Jake for forgiveness, Jake can release me, he can forgive me, and he can go and lay that sin at the foot of the cross. Jake is now free of it. He's forgiven. What is undone is reconciliation. If I never confess it to him, there's going to be some divide in our relationship, but he can be completely good with me, free in our relationship. So the moment I put it down and I come to Jake and I say, Jake, will you forgive me? He doesn't have to be like, well, let me see. He's already forgiven me. Now we can work on repairing our relationship because he has already done the work of forgiving others. When we've been forgiven, our natural response is to forgive others. So in this, here's the encouragement. Don't get weighed down by the sins of others. One of the things that I have found in my own life and in almost 20 years of being a pastor is that there are many Christians who are weighed down because of the sins of others. There has been genuine harm done by the actions of others and some that are just terrible actions committed against them. The question becomes, will we hold on to that or will we trust Jesus to deal rightly with it? And will we forgive that person? It's been said that withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison and and expecting the other person to die. (laughs) Don't get weighed down. Jesus has given us a way out, both in our relationship with him and in our relationship with others. Confess our sins before the Lord. Invite Mara to come. She's going to lead us in these last moments, along with the worship team, in um, just a time of responding to God in this area of confession, in this area of finding forgiveness, whether it be before God or with others. Yeah. I think that uh, we all do this thing sometimes where we hear a sermon like this and we almost count ourselves as the exception to the rule. Oh, this was a great sermon. Somebody out there needs this. And it's not for me either because I don't have a sin that is that big that's weighing on me or because my sin is too big and it's weighing on me too heavily. I don't deserve it. Um, I just wanna encourage us as we think about this, that none of us deserve to be able to walk into the throne room of a holy and perfect God 
But through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to go to that place free of guilt and free of shame. So I just ask you to bow your heads with me for a moment as we consider that we don't need a prophet to come and confront us with our sin. That Jesus has gifted us the Holy Spirit who is working inside of us and convicting us of our sins against God and of our sins against others. So would you just take a moment to ask with me, Lord God, reveal, reveal to me the burdens that I'm carrying, the weight that I carry because I have sinned against you, I sinned against your people, your creation. as things come up, continue to confess them to the Lord and seek forgiveness from him. We are promised his forgiveness, not admonishment, not condemnation, but forgiveness. God, we also pray that you would reveal the weights we are carrying that someone else left on us. Lord, the ways that we have been sinned against that we haven't yet been able to figure out how to forgive that person. And God, just in the way that you have forgiven us so mightily of things that we never thought we would get forgiveness for, Lord, we ask that you would help us to lay those burdens down at the cross. 